Welcome to or welcome back to the Journey Through Life podcast. I'm Justin Barton and this is my show. Some of you may or may not have already listened to this podcast before, but it's all about ordinary people with extraordinary stories and allowing a space where people can reflect on our own lives and look inward to learn wisdom from the life lessons and experiences of the guests of this show. I also invite my awesome guests to share some of the things that are most important to them so that future generations can receive words of wisdom directly from those who lived their lives and experienced the world today, kind of leaving a legacy. Before we jump in about today's episode, I just want to give you a heads up that I will be taking a two-week break from publishing new episodes because of the new series and project that I'm working on that I'll tell you about here in just a minute. But I will be devoting a lot of time over the next couple of weeks preparing for the first 12 episodes of 2020 that I'm really excited about. Today, we will be journeying with Jennifer Leeds, a woman to whom I was instantly drawn to the first time I met her about two years ago. Although I had no idea what her story was, I knew the first time I heard her speak that she had a story and I, that I wanted and needed to know it. Well, now I know part of it. And you will too. Jennifer is a fantastic weaver of words, and this conversation just flows. It flows into very real and sometimes dark places, but the light of the sun is right there on the horizon, and she chooses to open her eyes and let that light in to heal. Now, if you have not already subscribed to the Journey Through Life podcast, go and do it right now for free in whatever podcast platform you're hearing this on. That way, you can continue to reflect and learn from the experiences of current, past, and future guests. And if you haven't already reviewed and rated the podcast, what's holding you back? Please go take 30 seconds and give us a 5-star rating and write a little review in there. It really does help to get this message out to more people. You can also like us on Facebook and Instagram. The handle is at JTL Podcast for both of them. Also, you can check out the website and nominate yourself or a loved one to be a future guest right here at www.jtlpod.com. Now, I'm really excited to tell you about a special 12-week series that the Journey Through Life podcast will be doing starting January 6th of 2020. It will be called Journey in Recovery, and we will be having real, meaningful, uplifting, and educational conversations with real recovering addicts of all kinds and from many, many backgrounds. We will be covering one of the one step of the 12 steps of recovery each week, and it will be a powerful opportunity to educate some on addiction and recovery. I have already recorded a handful of these conversations, and man, are there some powerful lessons to learn here, not just for people with addictions, but for all of us humans. I look forward to sharing these with you so you can take to heart the stories and lessons learned of these amazing men and women who will be participating. Now, please go check out our sponsors, alifeuntold.com, and use promo code JUSTIN at checkout to save 10% on a personalized and hardbound book of your personal history to be left as a legacy for those who come after you. Also, please check out shepherdbrackets.com for awesome brackets to create your own open shelving concept in your kitchen, bathroom, or anywhere else you would like some stylish and high-quality floating shelves in your home. Use promo code JTLPOD5 to save 5% on all orders there. Now let's jump right into this meaningful conversation with Jennifer Leeds that I have entitled Dare to Heal, A Journey Through Life with Jennifer Leeds. This is a serious must-listen to any and all humans who struggle in any area. That means all of us. Here we go. All right. So, so Jen, we'll just start off and jump into, look back at your life. Who, when you were a child, was one of the most influential people in your life? Somebody who, as a young child, you looked at and you went, that person has influenced me a lot throughout my life. That's a really hard question. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I don't, um, I don't have a lot of really fond memories mm -hmm. as a child. I don't recall having a happy childhood. 
there's a lot of family dysfunction. There was a lot of moving. So there was, my dad was in the military. Okay. So he moved every two, two and a half years. Uh, so it was hard to get connected to or close to people. And I think, you know, I just really can't say, oh, if I were to say, who did I look up to as a child? Who did I want to be like as a child? There isn't any one person that really comes to the forefront of my mind hmm. that would say, I want to be like that person. Hmm. Even like teachers or friends or anything like that? I would say probably whenever somebody asks me who my favorite teacher is, hmm. I can tell you without question, it was my junior high school English teacher. Hmm. And uh, her name was Mrs. Graham. Why she was my favorite? I am not 100% sure. Huh. But there was something about her that showed that she loved her students. Hmm. She had an absolute passion for teaching that was rare to see in a lot of teachers. Hmm. And she took her time to explain she never belittled. She never put down. She always encouraged. And I think that's why I really appreciated her because your best was always your best. Mm. And she would encourage you to keep pushing for better. Mm. Not that where you were wasn't good enough, but you were doing great mm -hmm. and there was greater things to come. And I think that's one of the reasons I loved her because a primary message throughout my life was that I wasn't good enough. Mm. My best was never good enough. It was okay but not hmm. quite. And so I think that's one of the reasons I loved her. I think I'm going to jump right into that rather than follow a, a little bit of a timeline here um, because I really understand that in my own life. But tell me how you differentiate in your own mind and heart the difference between I'm doing my best now, but I can strive to do better and your best isn't good enough. What it, how do you differentiate that in your own mind and heart? Well, for many, many, many years, it was always, it's not good enough. Hmm. It won't ever be good enough. Yeah. I'm never going to make it. I'm never going to be what I'm supposed to be or what everybody thinks I ought to be or what I should be. And then I went through a program a few years back after my divorce hmm. And it, it was an intensive outpatient therapy program. So it's interesting that you asked this question because it kind of leads right into that. Okay. Um, and it was, it's called DBT or dialectical behavioral therapy. And the thing about dialectics that most people don't understand is that you can have and accept two absolutely opposing truths. Hmm. And so the question that you just asked is actually a dialectic. <laughs> How do you differentiate between your very best, being your best, and striving to be better? So uh, one of the first things that I learned in one of the first days of class when the instructor said, are you doing your best? Well, of course, I didn't think I was doing my best. Mm -hmm. I was a hot mess, and I didn't want to be there. Mm. It's like, no. And I was mad, and I was pushed up against the wall. My arms were folded tight, and I had a little sourpuss on my face, and mm -hmm. I was angry. Didn't think I deserved to be there. Didn't think I belonged there looking around the room. I was all kinds of judgmental and critical and didn't think I fit in there. Mm. And she said, well, you're wrong. Thought this was a class about being validated and taught that you're right and you're okay. And she told me I was wrong straight out the gate. Mm. And I went, huh, well, that's a joke. Mm. But then she explained that I was wrong and how I was wrong. Because I actually was doing my very best mm. in that moment. Yeah. I was doing the very best I could under the circumstances. However, I was still going to be able to learn to do better. Mm. And so now, having gone through that program and completed that program and graduated from it, now I can look at my day and say, I'm doing the best I can today. Mm. And it may not measure up to your expectations, but I don't care anymore hmm. because I'm where I'm at today and that's all I can give you. Yeah. And if you would like to sit in my shoes and in my seat and tell me that you would be doing any better, go ahead. I invite you into my living hell that I'm sitting in right now <laughs> because yeah. I'm going to do the best that I can. To be able to differentiate from that from day to day, it's difficult. Yeah. It's not always easy. 
And there are still days where that old dialogue of, I'm never going to make it, sneaks back in Mm. until I can catch it and say, well, yeah, you are. You're still here today, which means you have Mm -hmm. a 100% success rate of getting through Mm -hmm. hard days. Yeah. No, that's great. And I think there's a lot to that. A couple of episodes ago, I spoke with a woman, Shawnee Jarman, and one of her um, takeaways or one of her things that she shared was assume positive intent in people's lives. You know, sometimes somebody comes at us and, and it's just a really negative interaction. But if I can separate myself from that situation and go, you know what, that person's doing probably not didn't wake up this morning with the intention of hurting me or coming at me like that. That person's probably struggling with things um, and assuming that they're doing the best that they can. It can really shift your mindset into how I react to that person coming at me. Do I still like it? Absolutely not. And will I accept that person, not accept that person, will I um, say that what that person's doing to me is okay? No, but I can assume that they're doing the best they can with what they have. And I think that's kind of what you're saying there, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, another piece of the program is non-judgmental thinking. Hmm. To be able to take the personal attack out and think about your own self. Put yourself in that position for just a sec. You wake up in the morning, you're doing all right. But, you know, as we age and we, we have a couple years on us, right? Mm-hmm. Things have happened in our life. And I'm sure you've heard the term trigger. Mm -hmm. And certain things happen. Maybe it's a family gathering. Maybe it's a uh, class reunion. Maybe it's a disagreement you had with your partner um, or your best friend or Mm -hmm. even one of your children. Everybody has triggers. And so I wake up this morning and I'm in a great mood. But guess what? Something happens. I don't even know what sometimes. And then there's a trigger. It's a silent trigger, but it's a trigger and everything in you responds to it. Mm. And then I take it out on everyone around me. So if you're sitting in front of me and I got this silent trigger going on and I'm just assaulting you and you're like, well, I just said hello. And you can take it all kinds of personal or you step back for a second like your your guest a couple shows ago and take a non-judgmental approach and go, wow, I have no idea what's going on in that person's life right now, but I've been there. Yeah. And I know I've not treated people well when I've had silent triggers going off. So I'm just going to love them in their moment. Yeah. So, so let me share with you, and I don't remember if I've shared this with you before. Um, if I have, bear with me. The first time I met you um, was about two years ago um, in church, and you got up and you shared a message, a testimony basically, and it was one of the most honest and um, honestly enjoyable um, testimonies that I've ever heard. It was real. It was you weren't just trying to fluff things up to for, for people to go, oh, look at her, she's 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 there. You were honest about the, the struggles and the trials and those things. And, and then afterwards I approached you and I came up to you and I said, hey, it's good to meet you. I really enjoyed your testimony. And you gave me these darts like you were going to kill me. Look. <laughs> and I thought, holy cow, what the heck happened? And I was scared to death of you for a little while until I got to know you a little bit better. <laughs> So tell me, why do you think I interpreted that that way? Or was it that way? Oh, it was definitely that way. Okay. So Uh, tell me about that. I have been told by more than one. I, you know, this is a, is this an audio interview? So let me just explain. I'm all of five foot one. Mm -hmm. I'm a tiny little frame. And, uh, but I've been told that I am a force of nature. (laughs) Mm -hmm. A force to be reckoned with. A powerhouse, large kind of personality in this tiny little package. Uh And um, I've been told that I'm unapproachable. Mm. I've been told that I'm scary and intimidating, which just makes me chuckle because I'm so little. Right. But at the same time, when you and I met, I was in a very dark place in my life. Mm. I had lost a lot of faith. And my heavenly father, I had kind of turned my back on 
the faith that I had been raised in Mm -hmm. uh, because I had always tried to live it. And uh, my life was a mess. I had a horrible marriage, Mm -hmm. not the whole time, but the last eight, you know, eight, nine years of it was pretty difficult. Mm -hmm. And I hung on to it for fear of shame, Mm -hmm. failure. And I was angry because I thought, how could I live in such a good way and be so punished? Mm. So I was angry about it all. And um, a lot of changes had just happened in the church at the time that you and I had met. Mm -hmm. Uh, I very much had a very dark, prickly wall around me. And I still had some barbed wire around my heart. I was protecting it. I didn't want to let anybody in. I didn't want to put myself out there Mm. and I didn't want to face rejection Mm. from the members of my faith. Mm. Like I felt like I had during the time of my divorce. Mm. I felt very abandoned Mm. and um, alone and angry. Mm. So no, you didn't misperceive those darts. (laughs) They were very accurate. This girl right here does not have a poker face. Right. So if you see it, run. It's okay. Run away. <laughs> it's okay. Just run and go. Oh, she's just not really feeling it today. <laughs> Assume positive intent, but uh, Assume positive protect intent, self. But she probably meant that. Okay. Right. Right. So. <laughs> no, that's that's really, and and I really do. I appreciate that. I appreciate the the honesty because so often in my life, myself included, if I want to kill somebody, not literally, honestly, but if I want to bite somebody, I'll just put on this happy face and. Hey, we're good, and smile through my, you know, and uh, and do that, um, and I I do think there are times for that, but I think it's done way too often, Absolutely. you know. Um, but uh, as I look back at, it was very impressionable on me, but I'm grateful it didn't scare me away from getting to know you um, as for who you are, and you know, I still know this much about you, tiny bit about you, but what I do know, I really appreciate. So, um, thank you. Yeah. All right. So you, you mentioned here, how can I live in a good way and still be punished? Uh, That question you asked yourself is seemingly your world world was falling apart. The, the foundation that you had been on was crumbling and everything. What, as you look back at that, what, as you look back at that honestly, what what was crumbling? What was changing in your own life that caused that to happen? Or was it the actual foundation that was crumbling? I think there were a myriad of different things that were crumbling. Mm-hmm. My faith was crumbling. My belief system was crumbling. Mm-hmm. My testimony was crumbling. My emotional health was falling apart as I was allowing it to fall apart because in in the program that I was in, you had to let it fall apart. And were you in that program at that time? I was. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I actually graduated the program about three years ago. Okay. But I was, you know, it's a process. Right. Healing is a process. But at the time, you know, it's like you have to be willing to peel back. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to get a little graphic. So when you're listeners there's some graphic content here but it's the best way to explain it okay you have to be willing to peel back the scabs of your life and allow the infection that is eating you alive from the inside out emotionally you have to let that infection come out Mm. you have to let it ooze out you have to watch it go you have to watch it run and you have to be willing to let that drain out. Mm. And it's a very painful process uh, to to see that, mm. to feel that, to be with that, and to acknowledge that. But in order for real healing to happen, that's one of the grossest, hardest parts of it, is to be able to go, I really don't want to look at why I am the way I am today, mm. but I'm going to have to if mm. I want to change it. And so it's it's a process and it's a painful one. And I was in a very painful state. I was watching all of this agony that had built up to this situation or this type of being fall apart. 
because I was trying to fix it or heal it. Mm. And at the same time, trying to figure out who I was. I wasn't married anymore. Mm-hmm. I was a mom, but I wasn't a good mom in my book. Mm. Uh, and there was a time that I thought my children would be better off without me. Mm. And I tried to take my life wow. in 2015. Wow. Uh, it didn't work, obviously. Thankfully. I'm sitting here with you. Right. Uh, and it was at that time that I learned about this DBT program and, and, and got enrolled and really committed to doing that. Can we dig a little bit into that? Are you comfortable talking about the, the, the suicide attempt or is yeah. that something? No, it's, it's part of who I am and yeah. it's part of the story that I'll be sharing as I move forward with goals and healing myself. So right. let's talk. So take me into the months leading up to that 2000 what when in 2015 did you say mm-hmm. it was in june of 2015 june of two, so mm-hmm. take me into the previous five six months of of that and what places you were seeing yourself in in your mind and what was going on in your mind that led you to believe that my family my children this world would be a better place without me all throughout my life i've had a lot of verbal assault um, I experienced some physical abuse uh, growing up, uh, but there was more verbal. Mm. And, you know, you can heal a broken arm, but a broken heart takes a long time, mm. sometimes forever. And so throughout my life, I've had different people in my life be verbally uh, assaultive. Mm. And there was quite a bit of time where there were there was an individual in my life who was very unkind with their words and i was being put down and condemned for being a, a horrible wife and a horrible mother and a horrible person mm-hmm. and i was being told that i should just kill myself and so I, those words were coming from somebody else. Those words were coming yeah, from somebody words. else. Those wow. were actual words coming from another individual coming at me, telling me all these wonderful things about yeah. myself. And unfortunately, you know, you hear about mean people in the world. But the reality is a lot of those mean people are the people that we are closest to. Mm. And we aren't going to get those assaults from strangers. We're going to get them from the people that we trust mm-hmm. or the people that we love. Mm-hmm. And so these were coming, these were words coming from somebody that I trusted, somebody that I had loved and somebody that I um, had had a relationship with, a good one at, at one point. And it was pretty intense. And I was going through a divorce and I was feeling very overwhelmed and I was feeling very inadequate. Mm-hmm. And I was feeling very emotionally unstable. And I went in to my counselor and I said, look, my best friend thinks I've got bipolar depression. She says, I'm just like her mom. Hey, <laughs> can we do a test for this? <laughs> is there a test for this? Mm-hmm. And she said, there is. So I wanted to know what was so bad about me. Why was I this horrible person? Why was I this horrible wife? Why was I this horrible mother? And would I be better off dead? Did I have a disorder or a diagnosis that needed medication? Was there something about me that needed to be fixed that was so broken that somebody thought that I should be dead? That was a huge question mark. So I went back after the testing Uh, had been evaluated and she said well the good news is you don't have bipolar disorder it's like i knew it (laughs) there's nothing wrong with me Mm -hmm. it's the rest of the world Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but then there was a but (laughs) Mm. and that's when i did get the actual diagnosis which i didn't understand although at the time it came across i went i'm a freak Mm. i'm a monster I probably should be dead. So what was the diagnosis, the but? The but was that I was diagnosed high-functioning, borderline personality 
disorder. Mm. So also BPD, mm-hmm. but a different type. Right. And what I knew of it, it had a horrible stigma. Right. And it was at that point where I hit the all-time low of who I thought I was. And I felt like I was a monster. Mm. And I really would be better off. The world would be better off. My children would be better off if I didn't continue to breathe because I Mm. was this horrible monster. So tell me what your impressions were when that diagnosis was given to you. What experience did you have with other people or what knowledge did you have of other situations where people had this borderline personality? The only thing I knew about borderline personality disorder was itsy wincy. Mm -hmm. But like I said, that itsy wincy about of knowledge had a huge stigma. It was... Um, I mean, it was drugs, it was alcohol, it was sex, it was crazy, it was destructive, it was it was bad. Mm-hmm. Everything about it was bad. It was the, the epitome of bad. Mm. And it was more than I could handle. Right. And my children were really suffering. I was not well. Mm. And I remember my son saying... I don't know what's wrong with you, but you need to freaking fix it. Mm. And he said that to me from a small phone call that I was able to make Mm -hmm. from the confines of the psychiatric observation room Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the hospital. Mm. Uh, And I said, I'm going to try. And this was, of course, after the attempt had failed and and my brother got me to the ER and um, my ticket out of the ER (laughs) was agreeing to take the DBT program. Mm. And having sat in the ER all night and listened to the stuff that was happening around me, I went, I, there's other people that need a room upstairs. I'm going to go now. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, and that's where I wrote I came home and I wrote, mm. and that's where the title of the book that I started came from, was from what I wrote that day. The last line is Dare to Heal. Very cool. So um, you're writing a book, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that here in a little bit, but I want to talk about, well, there's so much there, and I think I'm going to just kind of skim over some of it, and I want to get into the the healing now of of. of writing is writing something that's healing to you now it's always been healing i've always been a writer mm-hmm. uh not a reader mm. but a writer mm. <laughs> and uh it's it's been poetry it's been uh two-page thought logs uh it's been a three-line log um it's been journaling mm-hmm. it's not consistent by mm-hmm. any means okay I've been very inconsistent in my life, most of my life. I'm working on consistency now, (laughs) and it's getting better. When you figure it out, let me know. Well, I'll just write another book. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) But it is definitely and always has been a healing. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I start to feel just like I'm going to burst, I will grab a tablet. I will grab my computer. I'll grab my... Now we have these handy smartphones Mm -hmm. with notepads inside of them, and I'll just type away. Hmm. And I'll get my thoughts out. It's interesting. So writing, so when I when I emotionally vomit and need to write, I do it like this with pen and paper. Um, I don't know. For me, that's a little bit more. It, it connects me more. But other people do just fine with the the digital and the the, the tactile of the keyboard. It sounds like that's how you are able to do that. Just I fine, do both. Huh? Yeah, I do both. Hmm. I have uh, journals because I daily journaled during my program. Mm-hmm. I have those journals every single day. There's just this little little section that mm-hmm. I I kept track of what was happening. Um, I have my digital notepad. I have my book now that I'm working on. That's kind of a let's journal and get it all out there. Mm-hmm. And then I have an actual paper journal that I've doodled and jot, jotted things I'm very much a poet at heart, mm. so the majority of it comes out poetically. In fact, in the very beginning of the book, when I read the first chapter, I went, well, I'll be careful. This is going to be a Dr. Seuss book because it's all going to rhyme. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, Whoa, it's all rhyming, but that's just me. I'm very mm-hmm. rhythmic. Mm. I, I love music. Mm-hmm. I love melody. I love patterns. Mm. And 
kind of follows kind of follows that. That's mm-hmm. very cool. I I enjoy that. So where does music play a part in this whole thing? Because music's a big part of your life, also. Music is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, I am self-taught musically. Okay. I took some piano lessons when I was little. My parents were in the military, so we moved a lot. It was hard mm-hmm. to stay consistent. Right. <laughs> so right. I I learned I learned non-consistency. <laughs> I learned to not follow through with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, try even with the military. Um, even with the military, like the military is very consistent, right. very regimented, right. and very structured. In my life, there was anything but structure. Mm. There was strictness, mm-hmm. and there were consequences, but mm. there was not consistency. Mm. Yeah, the only consistency I could count on in my memories and I know this will be hard for family who might hear this um the only thing I could count on was feeling afraid mm. and worried mm. and when was the next spanking mm. or when was the next outburst and who of the five children was the one that was going to get the eat mm. and so those were the things that I remember. That was the only consistency I really re- okay. recognized in my life. Consistently not following through yeah. and being being scared and afraid. So music has always kind of been my outlet. So I started piano lessons, didn't get to stay with it, but I've developed a love early on for the piano. So growing up in the church, there was always a piano nearby. Right. So when there was the time of the, the, the church calling where families were called to clean mm. now it's like a ward thing right. but in the days my my dad had been called as the uh the chapel custodian and we would all go and help but we were little so i would plunk on the piano and mm-hmm. it just evolved and then there was a time in my life where i was very active in the church and i served a mission and they mm. kept asking me to play the piano because they could hear me playing when nobody was watching. Right. And I was like, okay, well, I can play or y'all can sing, but it can't happen at the same time. <laughs> uh, but it kept they kept asking. So I, I just said, okay, Heavenly Father, if you're going to ask me to do this, you got to help me figure out a way to do this. Mm. And I learned my own way. Mm. And then that's evolved over time. And then uh, a couple years ago, I picked up the guitar through the inspiration of my sweetheart, who mm. was also learning. Mm. And now it's evolved even more. And that poetry that I've always loved to write as an outlet has turned into writing music. Mm. And I've written four songs now. That's awesome. um, my latest tribute was to my niece who passed away in July from breast cancer at a very young age. Mm. Very therapeutic because I get to do both the writing and the music. Mm. <laughs> So it's yeah. like, oh, yeah. That's very cool. So I, I was not aware that, um, you know, the guitar and the writing of songs and stuff was really, it's really a fairly recent very. development mm-hmm. in your life. Within the last two years. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. That's really neat. So as we go through that, I mean, you talk about consistency and the lack thereof it being kind of a theme, I guess, in your life. Where was the awakening in your own life of, and and not relating to any diagnosis or anything like that, because I think the the awakening probably came separately, either before or after, of I need to somehow find consistency, need to somehow find a solid base and foundation to stand on. It's actually interesting that you use the term awakening. Mm. Because I mentioned that I came home from that ER stay after the suicide attempt, and I wrote. And it's called The Awakening. (laughs) So that's actually the foreword to my book. And I think it was in that moment where I realized that the way that I was living wasn't working. Mm. Nothing that I had come to to this point was working and it had become so painfully obvious that what I was doing wasn't working and something had to be done differently and then I thought of Einstein Mm -hmm. I believe who said 
the definition of insanity is to do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result. I don't know <laughs> if that was his accent, but I just <laughs> couldn't go straight with you gotta that go one. With so, it, yep. <laughs> so I have to say that I thought, okay, this is this is not working, and it's the 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 actual title of my writing was called Isolation hmm. and Awakening, and it was sitting in isolation listening to all the stuff going on around me that I realized that I wasn't probably as far off as I thought I was. Mm. And so um, the last part of that piece that I wrote says, today is a new day with new challenges, but the sun, S-O-N, peeks over the horizon and a small ray of his love shines into my eyes. The choice, close my eyes to block the light or open them wide to let them shine Mm. and take on the sparkle that only God's love can give. The awakening is beginning and I will dare to heal. Mm. So there is the awakening. It sounds contrite, maybe, cliche, maybe, but the reality is it was sitting in isolation after the diagnosis, after the failed suicide attempt, that the reality of change and healing had to start with the one person that could control it, and that was me. Mm. So you use the word isolation there. And, and maybe physically that's what it was. But do you see a difference? Do you feel that it was isolation or was it solitude? I mean, and, and I'll get into why I asked this question in a minute here. What, what's your take on that? At that time, it was absolute isolation. Hmm. Um, I describe it in the writing. I was in a, a small room, mm-hmm. cold tile floors, white walls, hmm. a simple bed, no no bedding. You know, it's dangerous to have sheets in yeah, there. Wow. Um, <laughs> and the walls were so thin, hmm. and the staff was heartless and unkind hmm. and cruel, in my opinion. I sat in there for hours by myself. I stood in a corner because I was terrified to sit down. I didn't want to fall asleep. I didn't want to be vulnerable. I didn't know what would happen if I closed my eyes. And so I stood in here for hours and hours and hours. And I was on camera. There was somebody watching me. And I was alone. Nobody, nobody checked on me Mm. until the next day. So for me, in a vulnerable, emotional state of mind, I felt that was very cruel. Mm. I felt it was very unkind. I felt that at the very least, a hospital psychologist could have come in and said, hey, let's chat, let's talk. Mm. In fact, I had to ask for one to come and see me. Mm. So for me at that time, it was definitely isolation. In fact, they would scream at a patient in the conjoining rooms who would blow up and outburst, isolation. And I thought, ironic, y'all are screaming it, but we already in it. We're in it. We're already there. So the reason why I brought up that that verbiage there between isolation and solitude is, and, and maybe did that awakening happen in isolation or did those thoughts happen during that isolation? And then I'll get back to that. I had a lot of those thoughts during the isolation. Mm-hmm. Um, I lit and I, and I really break it down in the writing, how I, what I heard and the things that I listened and witnessed. And it was all audible because I was in my own little tiny room. I couldn't see anything. Mm-hmm. So what I witnessed audibly just kept rolling in my mind. And it was not for many, many hours that I agreed to allow my body to sit on the edge of that bed because I was tired. Mm. I was physically and emotionally worn down. Mm. 
And it was then that I started to kind of rock myself as if I was a child. Mm. I was that little girl that's scared to death inside. That little girl that had felt alone and scared for most of her life. That little girl came out Mm. (laughs) and I rocked back and forth Mm. and I started to hum. Sometimes the words would come to me, but I would hum. Where can I turn for peace? Mm. Um, I'm a child of God. Mm. I need thee every hour. Mm. Um, Hymns of praise that had in my life brought me peace. It was the music. Mm -hmm. It was the words. It was the thoughts. And then I started to kind of turn things around. And that was the, that's something that I've been able to do my whole life, that I've seen that pattern as mm-hmm. I've grown into who I am today. I would struggle. I would crash. I would burn. I would fall. I would fall apart. Mm-hmm. And then of my own strength, you know, that little force of nature, mm-hmm dig deep inside of myself and pick up that broken little girl and start to put her back together. Mm. Start to put her hat and her gloves on. Start to protect her and care for her, to take care of her and put her back together. Right. So in those moments, um, I'm going back to what you wrote there and trying to remember kind of how it is. The eye of the sun peeks over the horizon and offers a ray of light. I'm going to choose not to close my eyes and let that light rebuild me or however you you put it there. When you sat on the edge of the bed and started humming those hymns, is that, and and other songs of praise and whatever, is that kind of where you, in your mind's eye, see that light coming in or that tiny ray of light? I do. And at the same time, if you go back to the beginning of the interview when Mm -hmm. we met two years ago, Mm Yeah, yeah. Okay, this was three years Mm -hmm. plus ago that I was going through this awakening. But I allowed that light in momentarily, Mm -hmm. as I usually do. (laughs) Consistency. (laughs) And then there's this little worldly rebel that goes, weakling. And then I start to rebel. So, Mm. So there was an awakening. In your most fragile moments of life, I believe at least for myself, I'm more susceptible to the still small voice. Mm. In the weakest moments of my life, in the darkest places, I'm more susceptible to that little trickle of light over the horizon mm-hmm. or that still small voice, that sweet little whisper of you're going to be okay. Mm. It's when I get stronger, stronger, I think it's like a worldly strength, but when I get stronger, then I seem a little less willing to rely on the little peak of light. I got this. Or the little <laughs> still small voice. It's mm-hmm. like, I'm strong now. I don't need that in my... I got this. I don't need that. Yep. I got this. Mm-hmm. I'm a worldly strong person until yeah. you realize that the world is actually weak. Yeah. So I'm going to go a couple different places with this before I go to the next question. The reason why I asked about the isolation versus solitude, one of the things that I've experienced in my life um, over the last handful of years, and it's kind of a motto of mine, and you're kind of crushing it, to be honest with you, is the isolation is death. Um, If I sit and isolate and don't allow others to connect with me, I'm just going to put myself in a spiral of death. So, so your your use of the word isolation here just kind of crushes that, and that's why I said, "Are you sure it wasn't just solitude?" But you were physically, you were you were literally isolated when this little sliver of light came in. Um, so, you, if I'm going to go with one of my theories here, you had to be open to allow that in at that time, right? Absolutely. Okay. And that's part of healing. Yeah. Being open. You have to be open, like that wound I referred to earlier. Taking the top coat off and being willing to open up. Yeah. Um, You have to be willing to be open. Yeah. And I think it's that depth of despair Mm. that creates an opening. Do you feel that 
in that depth of despair, maybe in your experience, or maybe as you learn about others' experiences, do you feel that everybody in that depth of despair becomes open to anything like that? Or absolutely or maybe, not. Yeah. No, I there there is an unfortunate sadness in the depths of despair. And I see, I see in my mind like a, a movie scene, maybe like from, from Lord of the Rings or, or something, you know, where they're walking through the catacombs, they're walking through the, depths the darkest. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. They're walking through the depths of Middle Earth or the depths of despair. And, mm-hmm. and in the depths of despair, you're going to have those who are walking through it because they're trying to find their way out of it, mm. like myself. Mm but then you're going to see the remains of those who didn't make it as well. And that's the reality. Mm. The reality is not everybody is going to hang on to that torch and struggle through the catacombs of life and get out mm. with any ray of hope or ray of light. There are many who will perish because maybe they don't know where to turn. Maybe they don't know that there's a better way. Maybe that they don't they don't they think that they are who they are because they've told they've been told their whole life they are who they are. Mm. And therefore they have to stay who they are. Mm. And that's where I'm hoping for my message maybe here a little bit today and then as I continue to move on my trail forward for the goals and aspirations that I have is to be able to be that messenger of hope that mm. you might almost be a skeleton in the catacombs. But you can reach up at any point and grab that torch mm. and take that light and join the path. I love this imagery that you're creating. It's very, uh, I think it's very powerful. And I think that uh, um, it is and will be helpful to many as you continue to develop this and, and share it. So, so you know, we, we talked about earlier how the foundation was crumbling, the faith, the testimony, the, the belief system, the really pretty much everything in life, right? So how does that foundation that you're on today look today? What, what, what are you standing on today? The foundation today is like... broken piece of china and i'm going to explain this Mm. a friend of mine did a course where they learned how to fix broken china with gold Mm. they they put the pieces back together and then those broken lines are traced with gold Mm. and so there will never in this life be a perfect foundation there is a broken foundation that piece by piece is being placed back together through experience, through faith, through hard work, and through healing. So as I stand on my foundation today, it is not perfectly solid, and it may still crumble from time to time. But where I stand emotionally is knowing that even if it crumbles, it's okay. Mm. It's the crumbling and the rebuilding and the repairing that gives us the depth of who we are. Mm. And it is through these challenges and these trials and these dark paths that we have to face because our footing isn't sure. Mm. Even if we're doing awesome we're going to have days where our footing isn't sure. Right. And I used to say, oh, it's the worst day of my life because one piece of that foundation crumbled. Mm. Today I can say, well, that sucked. What a beautiful day, though. The whole day isn't ruined because one piece of concrete came loose. Mm. That piece of concrete came loose because there was a lesson to learn. Mm. There was a balance to be had and a depth to be placed in the tapestry of my life. Mm. 
So I think about a tapestry of my life when it's all over. And to be able to look back and go, oh my gosh, look at that dark spot right there and right there. And oh my goodness, I remember that bright spot and realize that it's those darkest of darks and the lightest of lights that create the depth and beauty mm. of who we are in this life and the tapestry we will review when it's over. I'm loving the imagery that you're putting into all of this. I mean, it's it's something that's, I see it in my mind very clearly. And, uh, and I, think, I think it's very helpful to have that type of um, language that helps helps put that imagery in there. Um, at the be- very beginning of this conversation, when I asked who, um, as a ch- young child, was very influential in your life, um, you said, you know, I can't think of too many people. Who today is someone who is very influential in your life? Today, um, you know, this might sound really crazy. It might sound cocky. It might sound arrogant. Mm -hmm. It is a truth, though. Okay. (laughs) I am the most influential person in my life today. Hmm. And I don't, I I have, there are so many wonderful people. I will give a shout out to some great mentors and people who have really inspired me to reach. Uh, My brother, Jared, Mm -hmm. Uh, He is the one who encouraged me to look into the DBT program. I am and will forever be grateful to Jared for that. Um, And I am grateful for my friend, Dr. Steve Taubman, uh, for his expertise and his way of looking at life. And he's a... published author. I think Wall Street says he's the ultimate brain declogger. (laughs) And he's a wonderful person. And I've worked with him personally and had some wonderful back and forth with him. And my friend Jason Freeman, who interviewed me recently Mm. for his blog, who has a campaign for living your imperfect best. And so right now, I would say those three people are at the top of my list. But then there's myself. And I think as individuals, we're always looking outward for somebody to look up to. Mm. (laughs) I want to cry. We're always looking outward for that outward idol or that outward role model or that person, that, that one person or that one group who made all the difference. And the reality is that there are so many in our lives, that it's hard to pinpoint just one. But the reality is, there's only one who really can make a difference. Mm-hmm. And that's you. And the reason I say you is because you're the one that has to do the work. Mm-hmm. I can read everything Dr. Steve or Jason's ever written. I can listen to every chit chat that my brother and I have had. And every little sweet moment where he's wanted to share a message with me or a thought that he read or heard that morning to help build me and lift me up. And I'm grateful for all of that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much you listen to. It doesn't matter how much you read. It doesn't matter what you watch or who you see doing that might inspire you. If you don't do something, you're just an onlooker. Mm -hmm. You're just sitting on the sidelines which is the name of one of my songs. Mm. Watching your life go by and missing it. So I will say right now, I look up to me. Mm. I look up to who I've chosen to become through healing, Mm. who I have put the time into and hope to be able to continue to give to. And share that growth and that learning and that knowledge and that experience with others to inspire them to look up to themselves. Mm. Now, this next question I'm going to ask, it's going to sound a little bit um, rude, maybe. It's not meant rude. It's, it's meant to make both of us think okay. on this. 
who or what gives you the right to put yourself on your own pedestal? My Heavenly Father. Mm. Tell me about that. He gave each and every one of us divine qualities that are unique to us. And I guess because he is more a partner in my life now, I should include him with myself mm. because we are a team. Awesome. Um, there was a time where I never prayed. Now there isn't a day that I don't. Mm. Am I perfect in living the gospel? Is anyone? No. <laughs> Do I let it eat me alive anymore? No. But my heavenly father has given me the strength to dig deep within myself with his hand in mine to bring myself to this point, to put myself there, mm -hmm. to say, I'm okay. To be able to look in the mirror and say, I'm okay. I'm working on being better because life is eternal progression. But today I am okay. And that goes right back to where we started. I'm doing my best, but I can do a little bit better. But I'm okay today. I am my best today. I am my best today. And I know that God still loves me at my best today and says, you're doing great. Let's take another step together, huh? Absolutely. He's the one mixing the gold yeah. to repair oh. the foundation. Love it. That's not something I have to do. I don't have to get that formula just right. My <laughs> Heavenly Father... Um, for those who are listening who may not be Christian but mm -hmm. believe in a higher power, we'll use the term higher power. Yeah. My higher power's got my back. Yeah. Love it. A couple more things, and then I'll ask you if there's anything else you want to share. But let's. this is how I, I ask about the same question towards the end of each interview of everybody because I want this to be kind of a reflection, doing some self-reflective thought here and looking forward. So let's look forward 50 years or, or more. Um, your grandkids and great-grandkids are all sitting around, and they're saying, what does Grandma Jen have to say to me today? And they stumble across this. What is it that you want them to know about you that is most important to you, maybe that you haven't already shared in this, that you'd like to share with them? I think the most important thing that I would want my posterity to know about me is that I'm not perfect and I'm okay with that today. Hmm. I don't have to be perfect. The scriptures say, be therefore perfect even as your Father which is in heaven and I are perfect, mm -hmm. referring to the Savior. And I used to take that so literally and I was like, that's insane. Mm -hmm. I can't get through one single day perfect. This is ridiculous. I'm done. I'm out. Peace out. I can't do it. Yeah. And I would beat myself up for that. And I know that there are many who may beat themselves up for that. What I would want my posterity to know is that it's okay to not be perfect. And it's those imperfections that give us an opportunity to grow. Mm. It's the imperfections and the moments, the hours, the minutes, the days, the weeks, the months of failure or despair or whether it's a physical ailment or an emotional ailment or a mental health ailment or um, spiritual ailment. We're all going to go through every single day a little bit broken. And that's okay. There's a country song that I love that says something along the lines of, you know, his heart had been broken many times. He says, but I need every crack in my broken heart because that's where her love gets in. Mm. And that makes me think of the Savior. We can't go through life unbroken mm. because then there are no cracks for the Savior's love to get in. That's what I want them to know. It's okay to be broken. It's okay to be imperfect. It's okay to accept where you're at today and continue to get better every single day. Perfection won't come until the afterlife. When we get to stand with those we love and our Savior 
and know we did our very best in every moment of every day. Man. Man. Any other words of wisdom or anything else you want to share you feel is necessary to share here? I just, um, you know, I just want to just talk about healing for just a sec if we can. Yes, please. That healing, whether it's a spiritual, physical, medical, healing is huge. And that is the title of the book that I'm working on, is the last line of that little paragraph that I read from my intro is dare to heal. Mm -hmm. And I've asked myself recently, well, what does that mean? So I'm going to break down the acronym of what came to my heart Mm -hmm. for what it means to heal. What I've done to heal that I feel is applicable to anybody. And whether you're listening with a medical ailment or you're listening with a spiritual or an emotional Apply it how you need it, because every time I say it out loud, it is a reaffirmation to me that it's absolute truth. Mm. (laughs) Maybe just mine, but if I can share this truth with others, I pray that that's what will happen right now. And so as I break it down, we're going to the H, E, A, and L. In order to heal in any aspect of life, we have to be willing to help ourselves. Nobody else can do the work for us. Be willing to help yourself. Engage in the process. It's personal. Healing is personal. And if you're not engaged, there's our E, Mm -hmm. if you're not engaged in the process, you're not going to get anywhere. Then arm yourself with the tools and the knowledge that you need. Because not everybody's medication is going to be the same for a physical problem. Not everybody's therapy is going to be the same for mental illness. Not everybody's scripture of choice is going to be the perfect answer for the perfect light that a broken spirit needs in that moment. But there are tools and knowledge that are applicable to everybody in every state of life Mm -hmm. and and healing. So arm yourself with the tools and knowledge that you need to live your best life. And that is the message that I really hope will get out there. We don't have to stay where we are because somebody said we had to. We don't have to stay in a state of absolute brokenness. We don't have to become the skeleton in the catacombs of life. And at any point that there is one half of a life's breath left, we have the opportunity to reach up, take the torch, and find the light to live. Awesome. Thank you so much for this. You're welcome. Thank you for the opportunity. Okay. Well, there you have it. A fantastic, meaningful, deep, touching, you name it, conversation with Jennifer Leeds. One of my very favorite people that, as we talked about in here, really scared me at first when I first introduced myself to her. But I am so grateful that she and I have been willing to um, move through that and really become friends, somebody who I really appreciate in my life and someone who I can, I know I could turn to if I had um, concerns or struggles or anything like that, and I know that she would not judge me. And I really look forward to this book that she's writing to come out. I will definitely be one of the first people who is on the... Um, in the line waiting to purchase it and read it. And I'm definitely going to go get it signed by the author when it comes out. Anyways, before we break up this week, remember to go check out our sponsors, alifeuntold.com. Use promo code Justin at checkout to save 10%. Go check out shepherdbrackets.com also. Use promo code JTLPOD5 to save 5% at checkout. I am going to take a two-week break 
in putting out new episodes of the podcast in preparation for the 12-week series that will be coming out in January. So over the next couple of weeks, you have plenty of time to catch up on old episodes that you may have missed out on. And I really look forward to coming back at the beginning of the new year with this special 12-week series that will just knock your socks off. It will just start this year off with a fantastic note, and then we'll get back to other journeys through life with other ordinary people with extraordinary stories. Have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Mm -hmm.